I'm going to go with the first thing that popped into my head. Uh, it's a J. Krishnamurti quote. It is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So rebel, do things differently. And uh, remember that just because it's popular doesn't mean it's healthy. Times are related is your currency. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley, as always. My guest this week is the fabulous Lopa Vandermersch. Lopa, for those that don't know, is the founder and CEO of the brand Rasa, which is an adaptogenic coffee alternative company. Uh, she is a super interesting person with a very interesting background, um, and there is a ton of wisdom and little nuggets that you can uh, take from this episode that I'm sure, uh, can help you in, in your day-to-day life. So very excited, uh, to share this one. We talk about how Lopa's search for enlightenment started when she was very young. Some of the many experiences she's had in pursuit of enlightenment from going to retreats, uh, to, uh, trying different plant medicines and all kinds of different things, uh, how she balances ego while being the face of her brand why she believes in the Ayurvedic philosophy around food, her experience being in a cult in Bali, um, how Rasa was born out of the most stressful time in her life, um, her take on the healthfulness of coffee, how Rasa is different than coffee and why it might be better for you, uh, why everything about Rasa revolves around being a good person, why trying to find your passion can be misleading, Um, her advice for leading a healthier and more fulfilled life, and why just because something is popular doesn't mean it's healthy. Again, fabulous episode with a super interesting um, and impressive human being, Um, and I encourage you guys to follow Rasa, order some Rasa online, uh, give it a try, uh, see if it works uh, better in your life um, than maybe your morning coffee or whatever you do in the morning. Um, So yeah, follow Rasa, follow Lopa, and I will let her tell the rest. Without further ado, the one and only Lopa Vandermersch. All right, I got Lopa with me. Um, We were just talking that like, I have never really heard your story other than kind of the research I've done. So this is definitely going to be like a conversation of me getting to know you, which is super cool. Um, But um, yeah, and I want to talk all things wellness, all things business. You have this very interesting um, combination of having explored uh, wellness and enlightenment and energy um, over the years, but you also have this business side to you um, as an entrepreneur, whether it's starting a company in the um, kind of nonprofit environment side or now what you're doing with Rasa. And I want to dive into all of it. And um, thank you for being here. And I'm just excited to get to, get to know you a bit. Awesome. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I'd love to start with kind of just your, like when your um, kind of path and search for health and wellness and 
enlightenment in these things began for you? Like, was this something you, you noticed when you were young or growing up or where does this all kind of begin for you? Um, it begins pretty early. Yeah, I would say uh, it started um, the, the first time I, I heard or read the word enlightenment, I was 16. And I was like, yes, yes, this, I want this. Um, and I picked up my first book on Taoism then and I was like, someone has written down the truth. Um, so, you know, I was definitely a, a pretty wide eyed young um, <clears throat> teen, not into like what, you know, many people my age were at that time. And, uh, you know, found myself searching and seeking and, and looking. I started doing yoga when I was 19. Uh, started with Bikram, which I would not call yoga anymore. I would say it's a little bit more like yoga-like exercises. Um, mildly abusive. <laughs> but um, then got into Ashtanga, did a teacher training there with a fantastic teacher, Richard Freeman. But I was still looking for, like, more you know, and I was at that time experimenting with psychedelics and, you know, just trying, like being like, can I, how can I pierce that veil? How can I, you know, really go for it? And then I met a teacher um, in my early twenties who the veil was pierced for him. You know, it was just very clear. This was not, um, this was not my, your average person. And he'd already done that without the help of the medicines. He'd actually built the bridge himself and walked over and was now standing on the other side and was like, here, here's how you do this. And uh, so, yeah, I went full bore into that. That was um, a primary focus of my life for a number of years, meditating three, four hours a day, doing teachings all the time. You know, I was like, I was working, but I was just kind of working to, to support my habit um, over here and uh, doing lots of retreats. And um, then it was from there that I did start to be like, okay, I do need to be in the world a little bit. There's this worldly interest and in I had an opportunity to uh, help start a biochar company. You mentioned the environmental space. Um, that was when I got into that. And so then I was kind of doing this both and. And I've been in the both and space pretty intensively, occasionally being more in the world, occasionally being more on the spiritual side, um, but you know, pretty much you know, ever since my mid twenties. Yeah, and so you, you were down in South America for a little while, is that correct? During uh, yeah. all this? I've, I've spent some time in South America, yeah. And what were you, can you kind of boil down some of the things I know you've studied, like, you know, you've done all these retreats, you've studied Ayurveda, you've studied all these kind of different uh, forms of wellness and, and energy and enlightenment. Like, can we boil down for, for like, for me, um, and sort of like the average person listening, can you like boil down some takeaways from that time that you've learned that you can maybe share with people. I'm sure that that could be a whole episode in itself, but that, that could be like a whole year. In itself. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's one of the things that in our modern culture, we're always looking for like the pull quote, the takeaway, the, you know, the, the cliff notes version. And um, the reality is that, that for so many people, the pursuit of enlightenment is truly a lifelong path and often lifetimes long. Um, and so it, it is really hard to, to condense, but um some of the things that I, I can maybe draw from some of the things that I'm, I'm working with right now and some of the things that I'm integrating right now um, in terms of some key learnings. Uh, big picture, you know, for me, the, the quest is to realize that this world, this the reality that we're, you know, that I'm talking to you through a Zoom screen and all of that, that's just one 
fraction of the spectrum. And if you think about it from the, the perspective of visible light, like we can only see a really small fraction of actual, of, of it, a really small fraction of light is actually visible light to the human eye. And there's a whole spectrum of things that we actually can't even see. And um, part of my experience of the path is that it's really about expanding that spectrum of not just what you can see with your eyes, but what you actually can, actually can experience. And <clears throat> really trying to let go of our grip on a, an abiding, objectified sense of self and open into a much more expansive experience of self as the whole base of loving awareness that is permeating and that everything comes out from, comes, comes from. Um, and uh, some of the things that I'm just really working on right now, so for a while, I kind of stepped off the path and was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's not that important. And like, what is enlightenment anyway? Maybe it's not even real. Um, and some of that came out from, uh, I, after working with my first teacher, I got into a very traumatic culty situation. Um, and uh, so there was a lot of trauma to deal with. And part of like trauma healing naturally is like, cool, put that away. Let's not look at it. Um, and so I kind of threw out the baby with the bathwater. Not only that, I was just like, fuck bathing, you know, like nobody should bathe ever again. <laughs> um, so, um, I hope it's okay that I swear here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Great. Uh, so now what I'm realizing is, you know, staying the course is actually, um, really valuable. Like, you know, even, even if we get hurt, even if things seem confusing, even if life gets really intense and you have two kids and st do a startup, like stay the course, stay connected to that stream and, uh, and good things will come. Um, and, um, let me think if there's anything else that seems pertinent to, to bring into this space in this moment. You know, I think so often in this world, our, our, our culture is very individualistically focused. You know, it's about like kind of what can I get? And often even for those who are, are doing great things in the world, and I can say from my own experience, when I was doing uh, working in biochar and I was trying to solve climate change, really, you know, and I, like I was trying to save the world, not because, and it really wasn't coming from this place of like my total open heartedness and like desire to actually take care of everyone. It was actually like, I want to be the hero. I want to be the one. So even though it outwardly looks really good um, and this very noble pursuit and sure, I'm not saying, you know, that we shouldn't do these things, but we also have to look at our own motive and really look at like, is this actually for me or am I really trying to support this person? Am I really trying to, um, you know, let go of my own sense of self and like the, the own, like my priority to look good to other people and, you know, all of that. And, um, you know, can I, can I come from a deeper place? Can I come from a more pure motive of, of actual giving? And that can actually take a really long time to work through because we're all naturally selfish. That's, you know, it's not a, a bad thing. It's actually a survival thing. You know, we're, we're built to be that way. Um, but uh, it's also important to just like, be real about yourself. Like, no, actually, I just really want to look good right now. <laughs> and that can be very humbling. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's valuable and important in, in the wellness world. And, in, you know, so many of us are like, oh, we're trying to do good things. Or, you know, there's the white saviorism, um, you know, thing kind of is one manifestation of that as well. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, that I'm consistently working on is like, okay, you know, even when I'm having a one-on-one -on -one with somebody on my team, am I trying to like, 
I'm going to be the good CEO who is like a good, you know, person and they're going to like me, or am I like really trying to serve this person right now? Um, and just keep on checking myself constantly as a practice, like, Oh, no, they're okay. Yep. Just trying to look good. Um, versus <laughs> like, okay, all right, let me feel this person's heart and let me like really try and, you know, serve this person instead of like help them from on high. Mm, yeah, that is, boy, if we can master that, right. And especially, like in today's day and age, like we're sitting here on a podcast and there is in the whole like idea of like branding yourself, you know, um, and, and sort of how that fits into exactly what you're saying about kind of like the ego and, and all this stuff. Um, how do you, I guess to kind of cut to um, what we were saying before, like how do you kind of balance that with, having to be the face of a brand and having to, um, you know, present yourself a certain way um, so that, you know, your brand is successful. That's a great question. Um, I would say reluctantly and awkwardly, um, but also somehow successfully. Um, uh, Yeah, it's been, that has been a a bit of a constant um, road for me because so much of my practice has been to like not you know make this thing out of myself and then you know not capitalize on the self not commodify a sense of self because that just objectifies and strengthens it even more um and the reality is that this is the world that we live in right now like this is what the reality is and if i i do have this mission to do something and that is uh, i trust coming from a you know there's there's selfish and unselfish motives in there you know gonna be real um but it definitely does feel like some of it is coming from a, a pure place and i want to um honor that and respect that and make it do well and so i have to play the games that are in our current reality in order to um be true to the mission that that it is and so one of the ways that i you know, it started with, I was just like, I don't even want to be in the picture. Just hide me. You know, like, do I even like, no, no, no. And then we started, I, some, some consultant that we have, were like, you need to make ads. Like you're engaging, you're, you know, like go ahead and make ads. And it was suddenly like, okay, those definitely sell the best. Great. Okay. So we got to put my face out there. And, um, so one of the things I've just been working with is just really not trying not to hold it too much and to know, like it is, it's acting, you know, ultimately like we're, we're all acting all the time um, in general. And um, the more that we solidify and make really concrete that sense of our acting and what we're stepping into, um, the more there is a risk of suffering, the more there is a risk of hurting other people because we're kind of like stuck in our own self. Um, And so I try to hold the mask lightly Um, and I try and hold it like, cool. So this is one mask that I wear, um, you know, being a parent is one mask that I wear and not to say that any of those are fake, you know, I'm still trying to be my full self coming through them, but also just be aware of, you know, I, I put out a certain thing that tries to have a certain level of consistency. Um, I bring a level of, I would say vulnerability, authenticity, intimacy into that, that um, many people have said like, well, I don't feel like I'm being marketed to, or I feel like you're a friend or something like that. And so I think that is part of like, sure, I could do it more like, here's our branded structure. And we may have to get to that at some point. Um, As I was mentioning to you before we started recording, how my editorial director is like, we kind of want to have the guardrails on you. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it in a little, bring it in a little. Yeah, yeah. Um, But uh, it, 
even if we do the guardrails, it's still, it's in service of something bigger and still coming back to checking like, is this really in service of something that serves others? Um, and, um, you know, whether that's the products that we're giving them and the way that that impacts their lives, the type of business that we're running and the way that that has a chance to impact culture, the supply chain and the way that that's impacting the people that, you know, are, are helping us get the herbs to the people, all of those things. Um, you know, can I be in service to those deeper things? And can I um, hold this, this mask, this persona um, as the face of the brand and as my own self and my own ego, just like a little, a little loosely, like I just like hold it with an open hand kind of thing. And uh, that's, that's been my practice. And thank you too for the question. That's a, a really lovely question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there over the years, is there a particular experience, um, whether it be um, at a retreat or during a meditation or, um, you know, taking a plant medicine or something that you can point to and maybe share um, with us that, you know, you, you came out of it kind of a, a, a different person and, and viewed your, your place in the world and the universe a, a little bit differently after? There have been many, for sure. Um, and, you know, what I'll say is it's, it's, it's common for us to kind of make altars to our spiritual experiences and concretize and objectify those and say like, oh, that's the sign that I made it somewhere. That's the sign that I'm a spiritual person or, you know, something like that. And the reality is, is that it takes constant work and constant practice. And, you know, I've had beautiful experiences on plant medicines, on retreats, you know, all of these things. And some of those certainly have, um, you know, fundamentally changed something either on a big level or on, on a smaller level. Um, but I, I try to hold those with an open hand too. You know, I try not to do the thing where I make an altar to that and say like, well, in 2016, I had a mild enlightenment experience. And so like, therefore I kind of made it. I have a thing or two that I can say to people. Um, so, you know, and I will say too, um, you know, the experience of being in a partnership, I'm, I'm married now, we're coming up on our seven, um, seven year anniversary. And, uh, you know, that has changed me profoundly, like really in the crucible of deep intimacy and the way that that brings up all of your shit and all of their shit. And then you're like, wow, here's our shit to get, wow, we're just shitty. And I didn't even know I was shitty. <laughs> and, uh, you know, intimacy brings that out in a way that few things can. And so I think that, you know, it, it's, it's really great to have those spiritual experiences like up on the mountain, up in the retreat. And I think that those are very important um, and can, can be incredibly valuable, especially if we continue to integrate them and continue to work towards them. Um, but also living in the world, running a business, parenting, having, you know, having a partnership, all of those things can also, they are the practice too, and they can, you know, profoundly change who you are as well. So, uh, it's, it's all of it. Um, and sure, you know, like I could, I could share like lovely experiences that I've had. Um, but some of the most profound ones were actually like not even that exciting to talk about, you know, mm. I had a, a, a dream once that there was like lightning in my body that my teacher gave me some transmission. And then I woke up and everything was kind of different, but it was like just a broader awareness that really kind of like expanded my experience that, you know, is always available now. Um, and yet, you know, it wasn't necessarily that otherworldly or that, you know, kind of, 
uh, you know, incredible storytelling of like, I was in the fifth dimension and then there was like <laughs> these gods and they were blessing me, you know, or anything like that. Um, so uh, I did, I did have a very powerful he healing experience, physical healing experience with ayahuasca when I was down in South America, um, like really, uh, transformed my experience. I, I was really suffering with um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis and uh, that plus continuing to work with some herbs after the fact and continuing to work on healing. Um, but I was, I had been like suicidal, pretty overweight and, you know, for reasons that I didn't understand. And then this shaman sucked a red worm out of my neck. We both felt and saw the same exact thing. And uh, like, wasn't a physical red worm. It was a yeah, yeah, right. electrical. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, like the next day I was like, I'm, I'm fine. Like the world does not seem gray anymore. And then like I lost 25 pounds in a month without trying, you know, it was like this wow. you know, crazy, you know, and not that I think that weight loss or weight gain is like something to work towards, but it was just like, this is not, not the right fit for my body right now. Um, so yeah, people can have incredible experiences with plant medicines and with retreats, but the most important thing for in, in my world is the integration and how are you continuing to work with that? And on the plant medicine side, I'll say, you know, just cause they're getting increasingly popular. Um, <clears throat> I drink tea as a, as a spiritual practice, as a meditative practice. Um, I have a tea teacher. He's, you know, he talks about tea as plant medicine and, uh, Tea is a plant medicine that comes into the human world and it's very like integratable in a very daily kind of way. Tea speaks human. <clears throat> Other plants, you go into the plant world, like you go into, you have ayahuasca and then you are taking a visit into the plant world mm. and we don't speak plant. And so then you're like, well, you know, I come out with these like crazy things, but it's a little bit harder to integrate. It's a little bit harder to really understand what those le lessons were. Um, and, you know, you may have more faculty or not, you know, if there's a spectrum of that, of course, but <clears throat> in general, unless you really make a practice of it and really working with that plant and the whole culture that, that um, comes with it, then it's a little bit more like you, you are a tourist into the plant world. Um, mm. you're in, and um, so, yeah, it's really important how we build that bridge back to our, human reality and integrate those things that we're learning and use it to like, sure, maybe it blows the doors off, but then what do you do with that? Yeah, I love it. I love it. On that front, where does food and forgive me for like peppering you on like these past like experiences. I'm just so fascinated by like, you know, the, all, all the years you've done this stuff and like, you are just, constant like diving into these things and I just want to like bring as much like knowledge and info from you as possible but where does like food having been like in this world and Ayurveda and all this where does like food fit into the whole picture of um, not only health and wellness but um, you know enlightenment and, and happiness where does where does food fit into that whole picture Sure, sure. Well, I mean, the, <clears throat> the base of our experience, you know, the fundamental base of our human experience, we're very connected to the physical. And that's one of the things that, you know, spiritual practice can do is that get us a little bit less rigid on the physical side, that visible spectrum of light, etc. <clears throat> um, and have a, a more subtleized energetic experience. But the base is physical. And if that physical is not healthy, is not, um, and when I say healthy, I don't mean like, you can healthy for your body at this time. You can be differently abled 
and still be healthy. You can have chronic illness and be healthy for whatever your current experience is, whatever limitations you might be experiencing, um, which can also be doorways as well to higher states, to greater knowledge, to wisdom. Um, but so having a, a ground of health for your particular state and experience is going to allow one, a sense of nervous system safety so that you can open more and more and more. Um, and, um, you know, they say we are what we eat and I'm not, I am, I am not an advocate generally of, of rigid, almost anything. Um, I am <clears throat> much more of a, for whom the Ayurvedic adage is for whom and when. Um, so, you know, every, everybody's going to have different circumstances, different needs, depending on the time of year, depending on who they are at that particular time, depending on what phase of their life they're in all of those things. Um, also depending where in the world that you are and the climate that you're, that you're with. Um, so, you know, I'm, uh, I, I have experimented with many different diets. I was vegan. I was raw. I've done paleo, very, like keto level before it was cool and called keto. Um, I have, um, you know, done various fasting and stuff like that. And what I found is that to me, intimacy with my body and intimacy with my needs is, um, really the, the best way for me to navigate that. And for me also flexibility, because I did have an eating disorder when I was younger. Um, and so if I get into like rigid mindsets around eating, it just kind of activates this thing in me that I don't really like, or want to like, you know, mm. get into. And what I find is that when I am, um, healthy, like when I'm, I use my cravings and my desires as symptoms. Like if I'm really going for like, okay, you know, I have just been wanting cake five days in a row and it's like kind of, and I'm not really craving vegetables. Then I'm like, what's going on? You know, like with something, okay, wait, I need time to myself. Or like, I haven't actually been exercising and, and that experience of exercising helps to move things through my body and helps me naturally crave things that are healthier, that sort of thing. Um, but I allow myself to, you know, eat whatever the hell I want. And it happens to usually be very healthy um, because, I have this kind of ground of health, but I had to work towards that for sure. And, um, you know, through an eating disorder. And for me, Ayurveda was like, that's my home base in terms of where I feel most healthy. And if I do get really off base, I can do like a short Ayurvedic cleanse um, or uh, one of the most profound uh, ex experiences of like shift in my relationship to my, my body actually happened through doing a five week, uh, what's called a pancha karma, which is a, a very slow detoxification <clears throat> process in the Ayurvedic system. And um, it's some of the foundation of Ayurvedic medicine in a way. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in India, you know, like everything is, I would say controlled, but in like a kind of gentle way. And then, uh, you know, you're drinking a bunch of ghee to cleanse things out of your body. It's, it's intense. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it was after that, that I just felt like I was in such balance in my system and I felt such clarity and I felt such openness and my heart was open. And I was like, oh my God, this is the basis of what food can do for you. Your body's in a healthy balanced state. We are naturally like at some of our best as a human. And I think that it's, um, the Ayurvedic way of going about that is very gentle as opposed to like, I don't know, some of this, um, some of like the biohacking stuff and some of the, even like some of the wellness world can be like, there's a little bit of this like kind of optimizer mindset that connects back to that um, selfish motive in a way. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, Ayurveda coming from 
you know, it's a sister science with Tantra and yoga, which are paths to liberation themselves. And so it really is much more about like, how do you be the best human being that you can be? How do you really be in service to others? The quest for longevity in that world is about how can I live longer so I can help more people, not how can I prevent wrinkles? <laughs> you know, like that's a very um, different orientation. And um, <clears throat> so I, having that, that foundation, um, I think there is my experience with Ayurveda as opposed to other um, modes of, of achieving health is that it does naturally incline itself a little bit more towards this kind of open-heartedness, compassion, um, deeper awareness kind of state. Um, not to say that you can't experience that in other ways, but I think there's just not that foundation kind of built into the, uh, the culture of the food and the way that you relate to food and all of that and the way that they're, they're trying to achieve that. So um, yeah, that was, that was a, a very distinct experience of like, wow, if my body's in balance, my mind will follow. My mind mm. is calmer. My, my emotions are happening in a little bit of a, like more of a bell curve instead of these kind of spikes that happen, um, those kinds of things. And so it's a little bit easier to be the person that I want to most want to be when I'm in a state of balance like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to kind of get into Rasa here and, you know, how did this all start and tell us about kind of the process of, uh, of starting it and making it in, in the, the full nine here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Rasa was inspired by a shit ton of stress um, <laughs> and uh, talking about um, going back to staying the course or not staying the course. And I kind of fell off the path. We went into, um, I, I, I kind of dragged my husband kicking and screaming into a cult and um, we left that cult. Um, I had an emergency back surgery. We moved across the country, um, lost a, f a member of the family. Um, I had my baby via an emergency C-section and um, then had a big falling out with my family. Like that was 2015 for me. So give me, give me real quick, give me the quick overview of, of the cult and why do you call it a cult and like, where were you? What was it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll go into Ross. <laughs> that's another one. It's like, if we say cult at like any dinner party or anything, and everybody's like, mic drop, like what? And then we just talk about that for like three hours. They're like, tell me everything. It's definitely a, a juicy topic for, for humans naturally. Um, so uh, I, I will go into it by saying like very valid spiritual teachings and practice in many ways. Um, so like, of course there was good things there. Otherwise we wouldn't have been in there. Right. We'll also say, you never know it's a cult until you're in it. Um, so it's not like, why would you join a cult? Um, my husband and I are both very smart people. Um, he got a 1600 on his SAT, you know, is a very <laughs> skeptical person in the world. And, you know, we both still got him. Um, and, uh, it's, it's an interesting, um, it's a reminder that even, be, even if somebody has what appears to be like almost magical powers, um, that doesn't mean that they're enlightened. Um, that doesn't mean that they're a good person to follow. And that was part of what attracted me. I was like, oh, she's got something that I want. And there were, you know, we had psychedelic experiences without psychedelics at all. Um, and, uh, you know, the world seemed to be a very different place around, around her. And, uh, I was attracted to that magic. And I thought that like, isn't that it, you know, like, isn't, isn't that magic somehow? Like that's the fruit of the path, right? It's not. 
um, be aware of those who particularly have powers and then show them because that is um, an indication that there's some kind of ego there in the like, I need to show you that I'm fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, it was centered around one woman in Bali um, and uh, we were back and forth in Bali for, we were with her for about a year and a half. There was an online component component as well. Um, so there's this uh, kind of online forum that we were divulging all of our deepest secrets on for, um, for hours a day. And, uh, yeah, there was, there was a lot of verbal abuse, um, manipulation, uh, dishonesty, even though she preached, you know, total honesty and transparency. Um, there was, uh, physical abuse. Um, you know, it, it, it ranged the whole gamut and, uh, and at the same time doing intense practices to open and raise Kundalini, um, and so there's just a lot of like electricity moving through the body and she had power there. She really did. But then also, I believe, you know, she's a traumatic narcissist. And, uh, so she wasn't able to actually serve people. It was more of a, like, how do I keep them attached to me? Um, and so, uh, it took us a little bit to figure that out get out of there. And we came away with complex PTSD. <laughs> 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 and, and what was like what was well I, I guess what was the like what was the initial reasoning why I mean you just seem so like curious and you're just so driven to like seek these kind of like higher states I feel like like yeah a how did you convince your husband <laughs> and, and be like like you know what was like the initial why'd you join in the first place um, I convinced him we fought vehemently for, for weeks about it. And I was like, look, you know, um, like you're free to do whatever you want. And like, I can just be with her and like, you can not, and that's fine. And, you know, and he was like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I see how this is going. And like, that's not how this is going to work. Um, and I finally just convinced him to like, just sit with her a bit and talk to her and that sort of thing. And so in that process, he went into the mind control process as well, basically. Um, so I was kind of already in it, hook, line and sinker. I was really magnetized by, uh, she had an incredible amount of power and charisma. And then uh, also, you know, these kind of magical experiences that, that we were, that I was having um, around, around her. And so I was like, oh, this, this is it. This is the thing that I've been looking for finally, finally found it. And then, um, yeah, realized that the, the, sometimes there's more magic in the ordinary than we, um, Mm. really know. Uh, there's a Zen, one of the reasons that I got into tea after this was because it was like so much of tea practice is about feeling the extraordinary and, and appreciating the extraordinary in the ordinary. Um, just, you know, the way the steam rises up from the cup and the sunlight hits it in just the right way. And like, how fucking beautiful is that? And so often that we're surrounded by beauty that we don't even really let, you know, like we, this beauty could open us to God all the time. And yet like so often we're just like, ah, I got to answer this text, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I was kind of hooked on this idea that it had to be otherworldly. And, you know, some of my practice lately has been like that more mundane, like how do I just be more loving, more aware, more compassionate, more joyful? Um, that's really the practice there. Um, and it's not necessarily about like, you know, did I feel like it was in another dimension and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So back, back to Rasa. Yeah. Why, why we start Rasa? 
Yeah. So um, stressful year, uh, to, to put it mildly, I call it my own personal 2020. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> now that we've had a 2020, I was like, oh, that was my 2015. There we go. Um, and, uh, I've never been a, a big coffee drinker cause, um, you know, the Ayurvedic view is that coffee's a bit, um, intense for my body type particularly. Um, but, uh, and usually I would drink it and it would just not do great things. So I was like, ah, not, not much of a coffee drinker, but had the baby exhausted all the time. And even my staunch Ayurveda friends were like, dude, this is when you just drink as much coffee as you want. Like, that's how you, I'm sorry. You know, you just like, you ignore that rule for this time. Rule. The, the mom, the mom diet is red wine and coffee, isn't it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. And, but I had had so much stress running through my system for that year. And like, also, you know, having done all those Kundalini practices and then all the trauma with it. And then like, you know, physical trauma in my life after that. Um, I drank coffee and I would wake up in panic attacks. You know, it was just like not, I, I did it maybe four times. And I was like, cool, this is not what's happening um, for my energy. And so I went around and tried all the coffee alternatives out there and nothing ticked all the boxes that I wanted. You know, I wanted it to energize. I wanted it to have a ton of health benefits. I wanted it to be delicious. And that was like questionable across some of the ones that I tried and um, no natural flavors or gluten or anything. Um, I'm gluten intolerant and a lot of them have grains and stuff like that. So um, I worked with an herbalist and we created Rasa. We're basically, you know, I was postpartum and, um, you know, had a very complex supply chain among other things. So didn't really launch until April of 2018. Um, and uh, when I was postpartum with my second child, which was not the timing we were looking for exactly, but um, packaging challenges and many other things kind of got in the way there. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been, it's been a fantastic ride since then. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Coffee is certainly, I think one of like the widely, most widely debated topics in kind of, you know, diet in, in, in the health arena. And yeah, I think it's one of those things like, you know, I drink coffee and I seem to, I can't have coffee in the afternoon. Like the only time I can have coffee is like, early in the morning and weirdly like I like a little bit of coffee before like I do my breathing and meditation in the morning like for some reason it's just kind of a jolt to kind of you know make sure I don't like totally fall asleep during <laughs> during a meditation or anything like I just like that alertness feeling yeah uh, but then my girlfriend who I live with she can't even um, she used to drink coffee and then one day like she had like I, I don't know, like a super powerful cold brew or something. And it kind of like triggered this total like panic and anxiety attack. And um, she's like tried it here and there again since. And it just like kind of re-triggers that like anxiety. So like she just doesn't touch it. Um, yep. But yeah, so where do you like, where do you view, I guess, coffee and, and why is like rasa better are you just like obviously like people can get dependent on coffee they can get dependent really on anything and like at what point is, is it a dependency and what at what point is it like a healthy ritual um, yeah where, where do you kind of like define those things yeah it's a great question and it's, it's the juicy question um i go back to the ayurvedic saying for whom and when 
Um, so clearly for your girlfriend, not for her ever, (laughs) for whom and when for you mornings, but not evenings. Um, so that's the, you know, you, you have to listen to your body and what works for you. Um, I will invite just as a like consideration, maybe an experiment for you personally, um, tea and meditation have gone together for centuries, even millennia. Um, there's a tradition of that because the tea also has has a high dose of L-theanine, which helps calm you. And then it also has the caffeine. So it really is a a calm and awake state um, from from tea experience. And it's not just like a tea in a bag. You have to get like really high quality tea. And I can tell you some places to to find that because the way that it's grown really impacts how it it affects you. But um, when I do drink tea ceremonially, like I feel like I've been, like I actually have like, wow, I am completely clear. It's like I've been on meditation retreat for a week and Mm -hmm. all I have to do is just show up for it. Um, so worth trying and just experimenting and seeing if that yeah, can you, can you hit us with like some of those, some of those brands or places? Because yeah. this is in, and I'm glad we're touching on this because when it comes to like adaptogens and things like that too, it's so hard to like actually know because it's such a popular thing. It's yeah. so hard to know like where you're getting like actually quality quality products there's so many like different things with adaptogens in it now it's just like i tend to just avoid it because like i i just can't trust any of it (laughs) you know so like tell tell me about the tea and then maybe we can get into that yeah yeah yeah. and i can talk a little bit more about coffee versus rasa too um so yeah it's it's a great point too because there is there's there's a lot of bullshit out there i'm not gonna lie um and well-intentioned people hawking bullshit uh, so, um, the three places that I recommend most for tea are the global tea hut, which is a nonprofit organization. Uh, my tea teacher started it amazing, amazing, what they call living teas. Um, so organically brewed, um, there's a, a number of di- or organically grown. Uh, there's a number of different, uh, spectrum or criteria to call something a living tea, globalteahut.org. Uh, very reasonably priced. You might look at it and say it's expensive. Trust me. My husband has tried every expensive tea on the planet and he comes back and is like, I can't believe how little they're charging for the quality of tea that this is. So uh, globalteahut.org, um, Living Tea as well uh, is another fantastic company, very high quality. Um, and then Chanting Pines is another one that if you're like maybe feeling a little bit more splurgy and want to go with like the best of the best in the world kind of um, Global Tea Hut has that as well. And so does Living Tea, but I would say Chanting Pines is a little bit more like um, you know, mostly very top notch. Um, and do they come from like a particular area? Like, is there one area where like you should have your tea sourced from or? Um, it really depends on the tea, but you know, I'm, I'm no Chinese and Taiwanese teas the best. Um, Japanese teas can be very beautiful as well, but I don't know that, you know, there's Korean teas, there's Kenyan teas, there's Indian teas, you know, uh, many different places, but those are the places that um, I'm most familiar with. And most of those teas are uh, from those three places as well. There, I'm sure there are amazing teas that you can get from other regions, but I'm not as familiar and able to, to recommend on those. Um, so yeah, those are, those are recommendations there. Tea and meditation, mwah, such a great combination. All right, I'm on it. I'm on yeah. it. <laughs> um, rasa and meditation is also a fantastic um, thing. We've had people, you know, drink rasa and then meditate and then be like, wow, that was a unique experience. Um, I'd say fundamentally the difference between coffee and rasa in terms of the quality of energy for your body. And again, holding this within the context of for whom and when, you know, because for some people coffee is great and you don't need to switch, you know, or 
Maybe you just want a second cup that's not coffee and, and Rasa is a good option for you. But for some people, like you might be in a dependency. Um, I will say the only way that you're gonna know if you're in a dependency is to quit um, for at least 30 days and then just see what happens and, um, and then reintroduce it and see what the, the impact is. Um, so many people have been drinking it so long that they don't really know what, what it's like without that. Um, so anytime you, anytime you fast from anything, you know, like do, do a digital detox, you're going to learn about your relationship to, to technology. You do a sugar detox, you're going to learn about your relationship to sugar. Do a coffee detox, you're going to learn about your relationship to coffee. Um, and, uh, but coffee fundamentally, um, going over to the Chinese medicine point of view, um, they, they say coffee fuels, borrows energy from tomorrow to fuel today. Um, so it is an extractive energy source from your body. Um, it, it uses your own cortisol cycle. Um, it hits, it, it spikes your cortisol cycle and it, um, <clears throat> changes your, your resting heart rate as well as stimulates your central nervous system in order to give you that sense of like, ah, I can do it. Everything's great. Um, and again, for whom and when in the Ayurvedic parlance, um, someone who's a kappa body type, um, that, that kit can really actually be medicinal. Um, and, you know, I, I have a little bit of coffee in my rasa right now. Um, we have a blend that's mixed with coffee. So like, you know, for me, for whom and when is like once a week, you know, having like a very small amount. And that works great for me. And I feel amazing when I do it that way. And if I do it too much more, then I start to notice, you know, different impacts. So, um, you know, we're, we're not... Um, it makes it challenging for marketing, but we're not like overly dogmatic or prescriptive about these things. Like everybody should quit coffee, coffee's bad. Not, act not actually. Um, it's more about finding the right relationship for you and coffee and, and experimenting so that you can really listen to your body and listen to your energy cycles. Um, going back to the idea of extractive energy, um, rasa is really a nourishing energy. So we, the, the formulation, we have eight different blends and um, they're all slightly different um, or very different in many cases, but um, the, all of them have this foundation of, they are going to nourish your body's organs and, uh, basically fundamentally your neuroendocrine system. So your nervous system and your endocrine system, uh, which is kind of the, uh, the primary governing driving system of the body, um, because it impacts and touches everything and neurotransmitters and your hormones are the basis of how everything is happening in your body. And, um, so these herbs are, are nourishing and strengthening that system. So the type of energy that you're getting is completely different than what coffee gives you. It's more of a, it's definitely more of a bell curve of energy as opposed to a spike and a fall. Um, and uh, it's definitely more sustainable over the course of the day, but it's also not that like big jolt that sometimes people are looking for. Um, and sometimes it can take a few days to be like, oh, this is what, it's just kind of even keel, right? Which if you're pursuing meditation and you know a spiritual practice in earnest, you know, you, you want a little bit more of that, that slow and steady, that calm and, and open kind of state. So um, it's very, very conducive for that and uh, is going to do things like nourish the adrenals and support your digestion and all of that as well. Um, not to say that coffee doesn't have benefits as well, but, you know, we're looking at the difference between extractive energy versus nourishing energy. Um, we're looking at the difference between um, you know, looking at your body as like, so many people, the way that they use coffee is to override their body signals. Um, not that everybody does that, but you know, it's like, if you're tired, you might just need to rest. And that's really hard to, <laughs> hard to follow in our culture because, um, you know, going back to this idea of commodifying the self, like we're, you know, how can I be more productive? I need to create things. I need to do things. And 
is again, going back to that motive, is that coming from, I really want to serve the world. Um, and if so, the energy of actually wanting to serve the world is going to be like its own fuel that you're not going to really need to push yourself past, uh, push past your body signals to, to do that. Um, or is it coming from that? Like, I, you know, I need to prove myself. I need to, um, kind of somehow bolster up this ego in whatever, whatever format that is. And again, like not judging anyone, not like trying to get down on anyone, but just, just allowing ourselves to get real with where we're actually coming from. Um, so that we can work and, and work to open ourselves and become better and better humans. Um, so coffee connects to all of these things in this, mm. you know, one way, like how we fuel ourselves impacts our mind, impacts, you know, the way that we um, relate to our reality, the way that we relate to our energy. I sometimes liken it to, to hunger as well. Like in our culture, you know, there's been, you know, many decades of, of kind of being divorced from our real hunger. Um, you know, we either eat too much or we eat too little, or we're trying to like, there's, you know, hunger should be this much because I had this many calories and, you know, like those sorts of things. Um, and it's similar in our energy as well. You know, like we're, we're kind of trying to manipulate our energy state as opposed to like sort of rest into what is my true energy state and how do I most support that? <clears throat> and, um, these are herbs that have been used, you know, in Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, in Western herbalism for, for many, many years as tonic herbs that are going to, um, tonic means like daily use over a long period of time to like slowly, slightly alter the way that our consciousness, the way that our experience manifests. Um, and so that's very different from, from the relationship with coffee. And you want to like get in some really interesting, um, the rise of coffee in the industrial revolution uh, Michael Pollan did an audiobook on this called Caffeine. Highly recommend it. It is, uh, when, once you read that, you get this kind of sense of like, whoa, is coffee just a tool of the man? Like, right, um, to, just, to just get people to work long hours and yeah. stay awake and. Yeah. Exactly. Do, do, do more, more, more extract from the system, which, you know, often we relate to our bodies in the same way that we relate to the earth. Like, how can I extract more without putting more back in? You know, so this is like regenerative energy, just like regenerative farming is adding more back into the soil um, while you're also reaping harvests as well. Mm, yeah, I love it. So how do you sort of view, obviously like you're an entrepreneur, you're building this business, but then you're also like this semi-enlightened or enlightened, you know, person um, or, or conscious very, you're, you're way more like conscious and aware, I would say because of your life experiences than the average person. Right. And you probably, um, just see a lot better where you kind of fit into the whole picture of, of the, you know, the world and the universe. Like how do you balance that knowledge with like this capitalistic, you know, business side of you? Like, how do you, how do you kind of see all that? And how do you view like, you know, business and making money and that whole kind of two conflicting areas? It's a great, it's a great question. Um, first, I want to be very clear. I am not enlightened nor semi-enlightened. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> it, it's all. <laughs> Just to be super clear, I, don't, don't call you're me. Not, you're not because I am. Like, <laughs> I mean, in so much as we all are inherently, yes. Have I realized it and stabilized that? No. 
Um, but am I working towards it? Sure. Will it be lifelong? Probably. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, first of all, I, it's, it's a constant practice for me to, um, try not to actually see them in conflict, in conflict with each other. You know, there is this kind of prevailing, uh, I don't know, thought pattern of, um, capitalism and business and making money as being some kind of perverse thing in and of itself. Exactly. Um, And I think that that is fundamentally flawed. It's not inherent that it's bad. It is used in a bad, you know, earth raping, human raping, you know, kind of system metaphorically. Um, But also literally sometimes Um, uh, it is, it is used in that way. And it's just like the same as like, it's not the tool, it's how you use it. Um, you know, it's not that coffee is bad, it's about your relationship to it. It's not that capitalism is bad, it's about how you're actually enacting it. And so we, I mean, it is a constant, constant consideration and question of like, how, how can I redefine capitalism? How can we as a business redefine capitalism and not just fall into the easy natural ruts that it prevents um, as a cultural pattern, as a, you know, the milieu that we all exist in. There are so many ways and reasons and incentives and opportunities to cut corners of integrity for the bottom line um, and to uh, do things slightly more extractively because that's just the way that it's done. That's the way everybody else does it, you know, all of these things. And, you know, if you looked at our business with a microscope, I think you'd see like, wow, you're doing a lot of things. Sometimes it might not seem that huge, but you add them all up and you're like, this is all, this is all very different. Um, we get that feedback from our team quite a bit and um, you know, our supply chain are, you know, we're trying to do everything in integrity as much as possible, which I think, you know, like it shouldn't be that revolutionary, but it is. Um, in many ways, you know, know, we've been on the forefront of compostable packaging ever since we started. Um, You know, if I had done it all again, I probably would have parallel path to non-compostable method, but you live and learn. Um, You know, the ways that we treat our employees, the ways that we treat our customers, you know, it's, there's, there's thousands of micro decisions and micro ways that we are doing things slightly different that makes it um, a little slower to grow the business. Um, And we're totally okay with that because, and I would say slower, like we're still definitely a high growth business and like, we're super proud of that. And also like, you know, we're, we're not going to hit a hundred million this year, you know, <laughs> like, and, and, and we don't want to, you know, like we want to, mm. we want to do it slow, like more slow and more sustainable so that we're here for the long haul. Um, how we treat our suppliers, how we, how we source our herbs, you know, like there's, there's thousands of decisions that you're making as a business at any given moment. And everybody in our team at this point I feel like is pretty trained in what does it mean to do things the Ross away? And it comes back to like, just fucking being a good person, you know, like mm. how would you treat your neighbor? How would you, how would you really, like if somebody was looking at every single decision, are they going to be like, wow, that was awesome. You know, like we, we had someone try to sue us for something completely frivolous and ridiculous. And it was like, we're in this like super shitty litigious situation. And I'm like, okay, how can I treat this person with like utmost compassion? You know, like, just like, it hurts. I am really confused at why you are trying to do this. And like, you know, um, how can, how can I be, you know, fake it till I make it. Like I was, I was still like shaky, anxious and angry, but it's still just like, okay, how can I be the best possible person I can be in this situation? So, you know, like in all, all dynamics, like how can, 
we express like the highest possible fruition of, of human experience, even if we're all kind of faking it till we make it, we still grow, we still create new neural pathways by, you know, even when we're practicing acting in compassion, even if it's not 100% coming from that, that full place. Um, so that's, that's how I reconcile it, um, you know, and that's a, a constant consideration and you know of course sometimes we're like okay we need to just follow the best practice because that's the best practice and we live in this capitalistic game and you know we have to do what's sustainable for our business but i would say you know um in, we haven't taken outside capital in part you know uh up and you know we're going to start looking at that but up until this point because we're like okay we want to just keep this thing we want to have you know our own influence as much as possible we want to um be able to do this our way without having to compromise on any of these, these little micro decisions, micro or macro decisions. There's, there's many. Um, yeah. And I could talk about any one of those little yeah. in there. No, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. How have you, as an entrepreneur, how have you sort of, like, I think I get the sense from you, like you are really, you are waking up every day and you are working on something that is true to you and true to what you want to put out in the world and um, to use kind of the bu buzzword, like you are, you are truly, you know, following your passion and, and doing what you want and bringing the, the energy you want to bring out into the world. What would you say to somebody that is, um, you know, looking for that and, and trying to find what that thing is for them that, you know, will, get them out of bed excited and, and wanting to, you know, put their energy and good out into the world. Like how, do, how does one kind of find that? Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes up is that the how is actually more important than the what. So mm -hmm. if you are practicing love and compassion and passion, you can't have compassion without passion. Like if you're practicing passion, if you are, you know, and for me with Rasa, I have, I've had to dive through several layers of motive and several layers of like, where am I really coming from with this? And like, oh, something got stagnant and stuck. And now I feel like I resent the business. And, you know, like that totally happens for me too. Like, just like, you know, with any job that we all have, sometimes we're like excited about it. And then we're like, what the fuck am I even doing this? You know, like, does this really matter? <laughs> and then, and I think for, for me, I've taken that as a sign, you know, sometimes I'll suffer like that for a month before I see it as a sign. Um, and then be like, okay, so some, I need to go another layer deeper and be like, why am I really doing this? So I think, um, I like uh, Simon Sinek's Find Your Why um, is actually a great, um, I just went through that process myself and um, not fully done, but um, so I don't have my why to share with you right now if you're curious. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that that's a great way to sort of get into um, the why is not the what and the how matters, I think, equally to the why as well. Um, and so if you find your why, then you can, you can more easily find the what and what does that actually look like. Um, so yeah, con continuing to dig deeper into motivation and, um, you know, I, I really believe though, if you, like, you might have the shittiest job situation, but if you wake up and you're like, I'm going to make this the best fucking day I possibly can. I'm going to love those people. Even if they're assholes, I am going to, you know, like, just like, if I, if I could be an enlightened, you know, whatever it is, like 
garbage truck driver or, you know, just working at a, you know, an accounting job that you hate or whatever, like, what would it be like, like, if you could walk in and just change that room with how much love you can radiate, you know, like, do that, try that, that, that's the practice. And then it matters. I think that the, the kind of um, find your purpose, I know I just said find your why, but there's a little bit of like, I need to find like, you know, my perfect job or like my perfect thing. And there's, that's a little bit of a red herring that I think is overemphasized in our culture a little bit. And um, I think it's more important to like, actually that that's an outward seeking thing. Like the external manifestation needs to look a certain way for me to internally feel good. Um, and I think it actually should go the other way around is that like, I'm going to go inward in myself, like open my heart, like access, you know, the, the best aspects of myself and bring that to no matter what I do. And then, and then I think your circumstances also change to support and align with that. You do that. And then you are going to find that things sort of shift around you. Either you're more okay with your current circumstances because you're learning acceptance and flexibility and you're bringing love to it, or that situation can't handle the amount of love that you're radiating and you fucking pop into a new possibility, you know, and, and that, and you find, you know, you're following more of what supports that for you. Um, and so then you're, you're aligning more with your, your self's intended expression in this existence, in this lifetime. I think that is the best advice I've ever heard on the show for like, you know, seeking passion or, or, or seeking fulfillment in, in your day-to-day life. I absolutely love that. Mm. Awesome. Glad it serves. So on the health front, um, I only got one or two more here for you because we're getting over an hour and this has been fantastic by the way. Um, but on the health front, if somebody's trying right now to kind of dial in their health or, or start a new habit, maybe tomorrow they want to, you know, uh, switch to Rasa in the morning instead of their coffee. Um, just somebody seeking to, um, lead a, a healthier, physically a healthier life. Mm-hmm. Um, is there one place you might recommend that they start or one practice they might adopt? Oh man. <clears throat> it's a tricky one because everyone has different tendencies. Um, and, uh, my, my teacher talks about, we all have sort of different access points. Um, some of us might be more physically inclined people. So like an exercise practice is gonna be much more important than a meditation practice, for example. Some of us are much more heart-centered people and that's our, our way to the divine. Um, and so, you know, relationships, love, you know, bringing love into the world, opening our hearts is gonna be more of that access point. For some people, you know, it's the mind and like what we learn, the podcasts we consume, the way we inspire ourselves, the meditation practice that we pick up, you know, might be more valuable. So first I would look at sort of what is, um, like if you look at your life, do you feel like you have an affinity to one of those different access points more than the other? You know, do you notice like, wow, I just really fucking feel good when I exercise and like something, everything seems to go right when I am, you know, exercising all the time or like, you know, I, I naturally go towards like reading books and it's when I read something that's really inspiring that lights my whole being on fire or, you know, this certain, these relationships or when I'm more social or when I'm really working on my relationship with my partner or whatever. So like try and self-assess, you know, which might be your more um, inclined access point. Um, And then um, pick one thing, you know, pick one thing that's, that's going to work. I think, you know, 
uh, products and how we eat and all of that is great. And of course, I want everybody to buy Rasa, duh. But um, no product is going to do the work that you need to do internally to um, like to really access yourself, you know, and to really be your best self. Like, I think that's a common thing in the wellness world these days is that, you know, it's like, well, if you just buy this product, then everything's right. Isn't everything going to be great? And I will say, though, if you feel really drawn towards a product um, or towards a food practice or towards, you know, something like that, make that a cornerstone habit. So what that means is like, you know, you do that one thing. And for, for many people, Rasa, fortunately, you know, is a cornerstone habit. They, they have that cup of Rasa and that's their moment of self-care in the morning. And it's an upward spiral from there. You know, you make that one good choice and then you, you have to actively work it. You can't just be like, oh, passively everything is just, I'm going to make better decisions now. You have to stop standing in your own fucking way sometimes. Um, but you make that next good choice. You know, you're like, okay, cool. So I just took care of myself here. Um, I had a cup of rasa. I had, a, you know, I consciously drank that first sip. You know, I would say maybe one God, there's so many good practices, but one, one place to start could be that whatever the first thing you put in your body is, whether that's water, whether that's rasa, whether that's a cup of coffee, you know, whether you take a shot of vodka in the morning, you know, um, <laughs> whatever it is, you treat that as if that is the elixir of life and that that is the most important thing that you're going to put in your body and you drink it as consciously as you fucking can. You make it a meditative enlightenment experience every single morning and you start your morning that way that like i imbibe with this you know this temple is nourished by by this liquid whatever it is and if it is vodka then you know probably there's going to come a point where you're like maybe this isn't actually congruent um and so you <laughs> change your, i'm using vodka as an extreme example obviously um but um you know that that orientation like the how you do it matters more than the what and, you know, and so like, and you could alchemize that vodka if you chose, like you could make that into the perfect nectar of your, you know, awakening every single morning, if, if that was really your choice. Um, the other, the other practice that I do often recommend, one that was taught to me by my teacher, um, is one that we can bring with us anywhere we go, it's completely free. And it will, if you really work it, totally change your life. Um, and that is what's called second attention practice. And so we all have, our, our attention can go in many places. And one example of this is like, have you ever been driving and you get to your destination, you're like, wow, I do not remember like the last 10 minutes of that drive. That's because you, driving became your second attention and your first attention became your thoughts and whatever, you know, wherever you were in your head. Um, so we can use that capability of our mind to our advantage to tether us to something that is going to connect us to more of what we want to be in the world, whether that's, you know, a sense of love, whether that's, you know, to our, we're connecting ourselves to our breathing so that we can be regulating our nervous systems all day, whether that's connecting to body sensation, because we're trying to get more connected to, you know, like a mom, I'm really stuck in my head and living on a computer in front of screens all day. Like I have feet. I can remember that. Um, and, uh, so have your primary attention on whatever it is that you're doing. You know, right now I have my primary attention on your, um, I'm, I'm talking to you, but then I can also, you know, you can be doing affirmations. You can be doing, you know, um, you know, breathing. It can be um, mantras, you know, whatever kind of works for you, whatever helps to remind you, helps you to remember, to remember. That's uh, one of the things one of my teachers says, we have to remember to remember. We so often think like, we're just going to remember, but no, you have to remember to remember. 
Um, so having a second attention practice, um, especially if you're trying to feel healthier in your body, um, having some awareness on body sensation can be a really good place to go um, because then that's just going to help you be more intimate with your body state. And then you're going to be like, oh, you know, I had a pretty heavy lunch and I'm feeling sleepy and I'm, you know, and you'll, you'll just be more attuned to that. And then that'll help you to make better decisions um, in terms of, you know, what's going to actually serve your body most and, and feeling that ground of health. Um, let's see. Last but not least, getting outside help. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Ayurveda and Ayurvedic practitioners are, are a wonderful resource. Um, I'm a big fan of plants as well. So herbalists are a great way. You know, you, you've got to follow your, your inclination. Though. You've got to follow what is right for you because there's so many ways up the mountain. You know, like mm-hmm. there's no one right way. Just because I fucking love Ayurveda doesn't mean it's right for everybody. Um, although it could be right for everybody. <laughs> um, but... Um, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, you have to kind of follow your, your natural inclinations. And, um, you know, in Chinese medicine, they say that the right form of the herb is the one that you'll actually take. Um, so the right form of the medicine is the one that you're actually going to comply with. So if you're like, I need to, you know, run a mile every day and you hate running, it's not going to work. But if you're like, I really love, you know, taking a stroll with my partner after work, or, you know, I actually really love walking my dog, walk two more blocks, you know, like that is a, is a habit that you'll start to keep with. And last piece of advice on this, you have to also do it, like do, do the next easiest thing. Like, don't make it some big thing. Like I have done this so many times in my life. I'm rolling my eyes at myself. I don't know if the video will be included, but I'm rolling my eyes at myself. Um, where I'm like, you know, I go on a retreat and then I'm like, okay, here's my perfect schedule from 6am to 6.05am. I'm doing these things. And then from 6.10, I'm doing this and I'm going to cover every single thing that I want to do. And then it has never happened. Um, so you've got to take it bite size and do the next easiest thing. So if the next easiest thing, you know, for you is like, Hey, I listened to this podcast. This chick seems cool. I want to try Rasa. And like, I'm going to just go ahead and like make this a habit for myself. Great make that the next easiest thing and then do the next easiest thing, whatever that is. Like in the case of Rasa, you have to drink it every day. Otherwise it's not going to have the right effect. These herbs are tonic herbs for the long time. Um, it'll still have a good effect, but you'll, you'll notice the most if you drink them every day. Um, so, you know, the next easiest thing might be you take a deep breath. The next easiest thing might be, you know, you walk past your yoga mat and you're like, ah, I don't have time. Get on it for one minute. You know, like one minute, you've got one minute. The next easiest thing might be instead of snapping at your partner when they say something, being like, all right, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. They're clearly stressed. Maybe they need a hug. You know, like just keep, keep working it and celebrate those wins. Celebrate every, you know, like, hey, I drank my rasa this morning. Hey, I did a minute of yoga and then it turned into seven minutes. That's great. Hey, you know, like I hugged my partner instead of, instead of snapping back when they were nasty to me, whatever it is, I celebrate it and be like, yes, because that dopamine is also going to help that upward spiral as well. We love to, to celebrate our wins. And so you need to be celebrating your own wins actively. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Celebrating your wins instead of like tearing yourself down when you don't hit that schedule that you just, um, and then the cycle goes the other way and you start thinking you can't accomplish anything and you're not good enough and all this stuff versus like, wow, I brushed my teeth. Let's go. Got that yeah. done today. You know, and it's just that positive momentum. I love that. Yeah. Um, well, I could totally go all day with you, but we can't do that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but give us real quick where, where people can follow you, Rasa, where they can, um, how they can order Rasa, uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah. 
we are at wearerasa.com. Uh, we're on that on all the socials as well. Um, also on Amazon, but our full line is on wearerasa.com. Um, and uh, what was the other question? Sorry. Brain fart. Um, I think that was it. I think okay. that was it. <laughs> Just where people can follow you and Rasa. Yes, yes. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I'm not really on Instagram, so don't follow me. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll follow Rasa. Um, cool. Well, before the very last one, I just want to thank you again. I want to give you a shout out and, um, just appreciate you for kind of the path you've walked in that, like, I just love that, that path of like curiosity and like search for, for meaning and purpose and like, what is all this about? And also like just anybody that's trying to you know, positively impact others' lives. I am just, you know, I gravitate towards. So I, I salute you for all you've done. And I'm sure, you know, the podcast you do and, um, you know, the products you make that you are positively impacting many people's lives. So shout out to you and, and shout out to Rasa and all you're doing. And um, the, the last word to you, whatever you would like to leave people with, and then we'll sign off. Mm. I'm going to go with the first thing that popped into my head. Uh, it's a J. Krishnamurti quote. It is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So rebel, do things differently. And uh, remember that just because it's popular doesn't mean it's healthy. Boom, that is fantastic. Thank you so much. Times have related is your